episode three. I'm here with uh, Anthony, Natalie, and Fee. Say hello. Hey guys. Hello. Uh, right on. So we're just going to get into it. Um, today's episode is sponsored by Scoutsy. Uh, we'll tell tell a little bit more about them later, but um, I wanted to just kind of like bring attention to some amazing things that are happening in the world of technology. Uh, one of them is something called Amazon Prime Air. Have you guys heard about this? I've heard about it from you guys talking about it. Is this the <laughs> drone thing? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard jokes on the internet about people shooting shooting them down to get free diapers. and. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so what it is basically is like these drones that come out of like the Amazon Prime like warehouse. <laughs> They're like these helicopter things where you can order something and supposedly have it delivered within like 30 minutes or something like off of Amazon Prime. So like these helicopters are flying through the air and like landing in in your front door, I guess. There's a lot of parts I don't understand about it. Like how do they navigate around trees and like I I don't know. It seems like it's not going to work. Do you think but... they take photos inside your house and start building analytics about like the stuff that you like to buy? <laughs> I'm scared. Because <laughs> if it flies into your house, I don't think that should be something that you need to worry about. True. If you're sick in bed, can you like open the door for the <laughs> drone? <laughs> I, w- I was wondering though about like how a, a a mobile app would work with this. Like, I wonder if they'll design a mobile app where you could be like just in the middle of a field, like at a park or something, and just like order something, and then it goes directly to your location. Like that would be insane like what if you're in an outdoor concert and you ordered like some I'm, beer <laughs> i think that's what or e- or burrito oh you think what i think that's what ebay now does but instead of a drone it's by messenger oh messenger. yeah so with ebay now like you could order like a pizza or whatever you order and they will follow you until they catch up with you and they'll you need your like a, is that just a person though yeah it's like a bike messenger whoa you guys always got to use the seamless web thing was it was in new york that mm-hmm. you guys used that and you guys always talk about how awesome it was and the days when it gets cold, you wish they had it in Austin. Well, the coolest thing about that was like not having to think about what you want to order. You just say, like, ship me the usual, right? And oh, I've done that with Jimmy John's, but... But yeah, having something delivered by drone, I mean, that. I mean, it seems so far-fetched, right? But, you know, it's pretty soon, like, that's how things are going to be delivered. It's crazy. That's weird. Uh, so that's Amazon Prime Air. I just wanted to bring it up because it's it's kind of crazy. Uh, another thing that I've noticed that is, you know, maybe worth talking about is uh, kind of a UI trend that I've seen lately in a couple of apps. One of those apps is Snapchat. Um, Snapchat is like this. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I really get what the, the draw is. It's obviously very popular, but basically you like take a picture and send it to your friend and they get it, but they only see it for like a couple seconds and then it disappears. Um, but I mean, really what it does is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the UI. It's like, it's like cartoony and it's like playful. Yeah. It's very playful. And it's like a ghost is like the logo. <laughs> so weird. So weird. It is weird. When, when um, it, I think it's we take for granted our sensibility. Sometimes you know we look at you know we like res designers. We like clean lines, mm-hmm. very, you know, very systematic stuff. But you know, what is an what is a twelve year old like? 
Yeah, or yeah. yeah. I mean, ho- hopefully. Friendly ghosts. <laughs> well, the other thing I, I wanted to contra- compare it with, not contrast it with, but compare it with, is uh, the UI with Waze. I just downloaded this app the other day, Waze, which is like a map app, and it's like that's reports for uh, traffic, and it you know works like Google Maps does. It takes you to where you need to go, but the UI with that is also very cartoony. Uh, and it, I mean, it looks nice. It doesn't look bad, but it looks like kind of like a kid's game. Uh, I would expect like a kid to be playing like a video game when I see the UI. And I thought that it was a ghost too, the logo, but uh, it's not. It's actually like a speech balloon that's like on wheels. Blaze uh, is the app where you where it's it's also community supported. So like if multiple people say there's a cop at this one area, like you'll get alerted when you're driving that there's a is it the same product, right? Yeah. yeah. I've, I've downloaded it. I've never used it. It kind of, maybe like what Rick is saying, like it kind of feels more like a Garmin. Uh-huh. Like unrefined a little bit. Yeah. You know, really large radiuses and... And huge thick strokes on everything, you know? Like, I don't know. I just I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing to, to point out because, you know, these are both hugely successful apps. I mean, you heard, you know, that Facebook tried to acquire Snapchat and they said no. Said, I don't know, I guess because they had so many users or whatever. But obviously it's working. Um, it's just not, the UI is just sort of like, it's a little different. It sort of seems like kind of, I don't know. I would like to see the user testing behind that. Yeah. Like what I, the results were or why. Well, you know, it, it kind of, like the, the other day we were talking a little bit about this. Like, you know, when you're designing a product, you have to, the first, one of the first things you have to do is sell the client on a vision for what it's going to look like. You know, and I think a lot of times as designers, we start, it's so easy to start designing things that we like. Yeah. You know, and, you know, right. obviously there's user testing behind these products that, you know, and, you know, and, and, and it, you know, some user data there that you know helps people design something sometimes the most successful design for a product may not be what a we actually thinks is is awesome right, right. right. yeah yeah that's kind of one of the things i wanted to bring up about it is like hey if i i don't know if i saw that i'd be like mm, i don't know if that's professional enough or something you know but obviously it's working you know so it's i don't know just kind of an interesting thing um Wait a minute, and uh, Natalie, you were talking about a new thing called iBeacon. I've never heard of that. What is that? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I was just reading about it the other day. Um, what it does is it picks up the Bluetooth low energy from your phone. And so say when you walk by like um, a sign of some sort and it's a concert, what it does is like you take out your phone and all of a sudden you get this message that's like, hey, you can buy tickets now or you know, there's a band playing around you or whatnot. It seemed pretty interesting. It's kind of like Minority Report, right? Where, yeah. you know, someone's walking through... You walk into Target, you get a coupon. Yeah, walking through a public mall, knows a little bit about you, what you might like, what store you might want to go to, what yeah. the deal is. And Gap's like, we have jeans your size in stock right now, and it's on sale. And there, there, there was an article that said something about how it would potentially change interaction design, or was that more about just like how... Like how you interact with your environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah crazy so i wonder if you can like just do like a gesture in midair like a thumbs down when it when 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 you present it with an ad is like yeah it starts adjusting just go like this you wave your finger no 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 (laughs) no me no lie (laughs) no lie um cool so i did want to talk about uh, a minute about our sponsor real quick uh this episode is sponsored by scoutsy 
and we love Scoutsy at Fun Size. Um, Scoutsy is uh, a website, scoutsy.com, you can go to, and you can just browse like a huge list to find the right creative talent for your project. There's tons of designers there. Um, designers are ready to work on websites, mobile apps, illustrations, uh, anything design related, related really. Um, and, and then Scoutsy does something different besides just like, you know, having a, a, a list of designers to look at. Scoutsy actually takes it to uh, beyond that point with a project management system and they'll help you navigate the whole project all the way through to the end. To I've the- actually used this and it's really cool because, you know, if you think about you're a freelancer and you're trying to find clients, the hardest part is finding someone that's a good match. And what these guys will do is they actually, uh, actually prevent and facilitate the process of matching people up. So. That's awesome. I mean, it's yeah. it's hard to find the... You know, I had a lot of clients when I was a freelance web designer that I worked with. And, you know, I think one of the questions they had was like, well, what if we don't like it? I think it was like a logo design I was doing for them or something. And they're like, well, what if we don't like it? I'm like, well, I mean, you saw my portfolio, right? Like, you like my style, right? You know, and I'm like kind of wondering if they chose me because it was random or if, if they like actually felt like I was a good fit for the project. So I feel like Scoutsy kind of takes that, um, you know, off, off that pressure off a little bit because they have, if they contact you, you know, they have found you, uh, as a designer, I guess it, you know, that they have found you because they picked you out of a li- long list of designers and they think you're the best fit for them. So I think that's really cool. Um, so, you know, it works both ways. If you're a designer, it's a great place to go on and put your portfolio. It's a great place to find work. Um, it's just scoutsy.com. C, or sorry, S-C-O-U-T-Z-I-E.com. And you can go there today, start a design project. Uh, Scoutsy has a very special place in my heart, uh, you know, and I know that's changed a little bit, but it's primarily mobile product designer. So, it's a really great. It's also a really great resource for young, young mobile designers to go to to see what is happening in the trends of mobile design. And there's That's a good point. there's people from all over the world, so you can find like great examples of what's what's trending in iOS, Android, Windows. Um, and for someone that's just starting out freelancing, it's a it's an it's an amazing place to go to start building your client base. And it's also a lot better than Dribble too, because I think these most of these projects are actually real projects. They're not just four hundred by three hundred shots, you know, that are uploaded. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, you know, when when you know, fun size uh, when before fun size was fun size, it was me as a freelancer, and a lot of a lot of my work was coming from Scoutsy, and you know, Scoutsy did a really great job of pairing me with clients that fit the criteria of projects that I was looking for at the budget and. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was because of Scoutsy that we started to get so much work that we finally decided to create an agency. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. That's why we love them. We love Scoutsy and Fun Size. Okay, so getting into uh, just the meat of the the the, the podcast today, we're going to talk about pricing and why is pricing such a taboo issue sometimes to discuss with other people when you just met them. You know, it's not really. It's not really first date uh, conversation. Hey, how you doing? I'm Rick. How much do you charge? You know, it's like, it's kind of like you have to peel some layers back before. I don't know. I have good friends that I've never actually discussed pricing with because it's a very personal thing. And like, why is that? Um, 
somebody said, you know, pricing is your livelihood, you know, so to just reveal that is a very like, you know, personal thing. I think, I think it's personal and I think a lot of people feel like it's, um, something special that they have that they're scared of other people finding out about how they do it, you know, especially Mm -hmm. in competitive, uh, competitive worlds. Um, and I think the, uh, you know, another reason why, I mean, it scares me every day and I've been doing this for a long time, but I think that it's scary because no one knows like the right way to price themselves or price their work or, or to how much to invest into something and understanding what the value is. And, um, well, I think it's just something that at a certain point you just take a stance on it, you know, like this is, this is the, the best way for our business to, you know, to become profitable and to really work. Um, but I know that there's a lot, like people price all kinds of different ways. Um, there's definitely like a few, there's definitely like a few main pricing models and maybe we could just go over a few of those real quick. Like there's, you know, everyone knows like the, the general, um, pricing like bullet points but one of them is fixed Mm, well to me it means a fixed cost for a fixed deliverable so i'm going to charge you x amount of money for this deliverable right and i mean there's a lot to go in there but when you're doing when you're doing fixed based pricing it is extremely (laughs) uh, risky because you are estimating the work and you're putting that figure out there to your employer or to your client or whatever and then you're saying, I agree to do this for this price. And then you have to keep your employer or your client in line with what you're doing because the scope can't change. Right. So it's a very fixed scope. It mm-hmm. can't change. It's not agile. It's very clear, black and white. What if someone is paying for a, a fixed delivery? Right. And in some ways, it's kind of risky, right? Because you say, hey, I'll do this, you know, this mobile app for 20 grand, right? And then you get in there and... If that starts burning a hole in your pocket, meaning the amount of time that you have committed to is then starting to cost you more than what you said, I don't know, 20 grand or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if that starts, you know, say you've got a couple of freelancers working on that with you, you could really mess yourself up with that. You know, Um, having a fixed price, you better make sure your estimate's correct and it's right on point or it's... Yeah, not only that, but it's, you have to have a lot of faith in that client to like, to know that they, they're going to do it right and they know what they're doing to begin with. Yeah. This is a scary way of working for me uh, because it uh, it's almost like someone is going to get the shorthand of the stick at the end of the day, right? Like, um, or, or there's so much room for miscommunication right. about what is, like, you know, take a responsive website project, for example, and you do, let's say you do a, a statement of work and it says, well, we're going to design your responsive website for this much Mm -hmm. and then the client when you're trying to when you think the project's done the client says well this responsive website isn't working well in this nexus uh tablet browser and then if you if you had forgot to spec that you're going to end up doing free work yeah you know as an an example yeah um so it it takes a long time uh, to come up with the right estimate and price to like even pull the trigger on something like this and both people really have to be accountable for at the end of the day for you know even approvals you know on the project management side if you're saying you're going to do something for this fixed price there's usually also a fixed time frame mm-hmm. so that's true so if the, yeah. you know if someone doesn't meet their deliverable on time or if the client doesn't approve it on time then what happens right like right. 
how do you move forward from there? How does the price change? So the fixed pricing, you know, it's kind of risky. Uh, so there's an alternate to fixed pricing, which is value-based pricing. I mean, it's an alter, alternate to a lot of different types of pricing. And to be honest with you, it's been really hard for me to understand what value-based pricing is. I was kind of excited to have this, do this podcast, record this today, because I'm not really sure you know, 100% how it works and everything. Um, basically, my understanding of value-based pricing, uh, I think of jeans, like designer jeans, right? Like <laughs> You've got a pair of, of jeans and let's say, I don't know, who's an expensive, Le- Levi, is that expensive? G-Star. G-Star. G-Star jeans, right? And you've got a factory, you make them there, and probably at the end of the day, I mean, gosh, man, I can't imagine what the margins are on designer jeans, but... You you make these jeans for like probably something like four dollars or maybe even less than that. But how much you charge when it actually hits the retail like floor? You're charging like I don't know one hundred twenty dollars for jeans mm-hmm. or something. Like it is based on the value of what people are willing to pay for that. I guess. I mean, that's sort of my broken understanding of value based. Like, what are they worth? You know, my my understanding of that is pretty similar. To yours, the metaphor that I use is like a samurai sword craftsman or someone that makes handmade guitars. Mm-hmm. If, if you know, if you think about it, like if someone starts their career at the age of twenty, um, setting out to make custom guitars, uh-huh. they're going to charge a price for that. There's a certain amount of time it takes to do it, and let's say, let, you know, fast forward twenty years, that person is now forty years old. Mm-hmm. They've gained all this experience in making handmade guitars. If it takes them less time to do it. Why should it cost right, less? Right. So you're paying for the fact that this particular individual, you know, gave you this thing, and you're right. you are paying for the the value of it. So, and I think there's a lot of industries where that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's definitely been really popular lately. Uh, very, you know, everyone's talking about value based pricing, and it's kind of a catchword. I think there's a lot of people That's sort of riding true. that wave. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, someone I can't remember who told me this put it to me like this. If if a client is coming to you and saying, we really need your services because this product, the future of our company depends on this product mm-hmm. success. So if you use that as a metric for pricing, you can, you can reply back to the client and say, well, if this project is a success, how much money would you stand to make? Mm-hmm. So if the client says, we would stand to make a billion dollars, then you can tell the client, would you be willing to pay a million dollars to make a billion dollars? Right. Right. Or if, is it worth it to you to pay $250,000 to not go out of business? And I think that's now my more modern understanding of value based pricing is. And when people have talked to me, like even certain vendors have interviewed fund size Mm -hmm. of various services and they ask these questions because what they're looking for is that nugget of what you perceive as value. Right. And I, I the, the, my problem with value-based pricing or just my problem with understanding it is that no matter what, at some point, whatever you charge end up boiling down to an hourly rate. And is there any true just value-based pricing or does it always boil down to what you want to charge? Because you know? that bottom line is so subjective. Right? Yeah. You have to kind of go and convince a client that you're worth that that you're putting out yeah. there and the I, client's like why do I need to pay you that well just because in a value based pricing world you would never tell the client an hourly rate it's like this is the cost this is what yes. I think I'm worth this is what I'm worth 
yes or no. Yeah. Uh, because someone else might pay that or this is what it's worth. You know, so even though that you're, you're looking at the same designer or same design team, they might sell the same type of product to another client for a higher or lower price because of that perceived value. Right. Um, and I learned something today. I was listening to a podcast podcast that uh, Jason Blummer had done. Uh-huh. And I was trying to basically just grasp an understanding of value-based pricing. And I think his, his partner, Danny, or the, the guy Daniel he runs it with. Yeah. Uh, who's an awesome guy, it seems like. Um, he, he he put it in a way, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it actually totally, like, start... I, I don't know. I feel like I got the beginning of what it really means, but, you know, he's, he was talking about a commodity because basically some some clients may look at design as a commodity, meaning it's like coffee or it's like gasoline. It's something you need. Um, doesn't matter who makes it. It's this is just something that they need. Um, so it makes sense when you're presented with a lot of choices, just go with the cheapest one. So it's not, you know, value-based pricing is more like, yeah, that's really not what we do. You know, it's, um, it's worth more. Even though the guy down the street may be charging less, yeah. uh, we're worth more than that because because a lot of things because of the quality because of the execution because of the process the probability of being able to ship on time and yeah 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 there's a lot of things that go into it like this i I guess it's it's more just like what is it worth i've i've just uh, i've had a personally just a really hard time um trying to figure out how to sell that Uh, yeah i just can't get my head around it i mean because also like you know i don't want to just throw a number out of my pocket and yeah, you know, I, there's something about that that feels very dishonest, kind mm-hmm. of right. Uh, just to me personally. Well, you don't uh, feel like you can stand on that, right? If they're like, "How much does it cost?" and you're like, "This much," and then they're like, "Why?" You're like, mm, <laughs> I, "I don't know." It's the first number that popped into my head. It's what right. I want, you know. But I mean, I think that there is like a way to actually break down value-based pricing to be like something that you can stand on and defend, you know. Well, one one example that I can actually really get behind was, you know, a, an hour ago, I was actually on a phone call with Jason Blummer. Right. Um, Jason is someone that I really want to work with. And, you know, he's asking, he's interviewing, asking me these very specific questions. And one of the questions was, well, what in, what does success look like to you? What are your pain points? And so I explained to him, well, one of, actually one of the questions was, what keeps you up at night? Mm. And I, it's worth it for me to hire someone that's offering the service that keeps me from having to have that one stress. And for certain things like that, I can definitely see the value because I, I, I get it. Right. You know, the, it's pretty easy, but in, in other cases, it's really hard. And it's also really hard, like the, this debate or this conversation we're having right now, if you ask anyone, like, I don't think anyone knows, you know, what this is. Mm-hmm. Or how to do it, and um, I think I think pe- people know it. People that are, you know uh, have sort of paid a lot for the wisdom of understanding what it really means. Um, so uh, Jason Plummer, by the way, is a pretty cool guy. He seems like. Um, can you tell me? I, I mean, I know basically he he like runs like a a CPA firm mm-hmm. in South Carolina. Yeah. I've only like I've just started hearing a lot about this guy. He seems like a cool guy, um, but he has. Uh, sort of a process that he, he works mostly with creatives. Yeah, his he, he runs a, a CPA firm that focuses their business on partnering with design companies like ours. Dude, and, it, and it's not just, it's the, the value is that it's not just the bookkeeping, it's business coaching, understanding how to 
look at your money and yeah. be a better business owner, make better decisions, grow. You know, like they they far extend. You know, he also yeah. does a podcast. He's, you know, um, that sounds really smart. I've always yeah. thought like it's so hard to crack that like you know translation between designer brain and like uh, financial brain. You know, if somebody could sort of focus on that, they could probably you know do it, have a good business, and you know, you know one one thing that we need we need help. You know, with yeah. that. So I, I think you know in in terms of design services, one of the easier places for me to understand where value based pricing fits is something like a consultation. Mm-hmm. Like say say a client comes to you and they say. We want we want to receive your professional viewpoint on where you think our product should go, right? Mm-hmm. It, you know, like whether that's an audit, uh, because you, it's very easy to say, well, this is the value of that time to do this one this exercise. Yeah. But when you start looking at it exponentially over like a year, you know, six month time frame or something, it's a little bit harder. Uh, I've never I've never actually found a way that uh, for to make this pricing model work in the kind of work that we do. Because the work that we do is very, uh, it's hard to pinpoint what exactly you're going to be doing. Yeah. Because the work that we do changes on a month-to-month, week-to-week, day-to-day basis. How can you assign a fixed price or a value-based price mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, it's. Uh, we'll get into a little bit more later uh, in the podcast about what our approach is to like, you know, giving proposals to our clients and stuff. But I, I do think it really seems like Jason Blummer is a good guy to look up if you want to learn a little bit more about pricing and value you know, his podcast the businessology show has a has a there's a specific episode called about value-based pricing i'd recommend you guys listen to that yeah that's that's the one i was listening to today it was pretty cool um so before we get too far off track getting, getting back to the pricing models we talked about fixed we just discussed value-based pricing uh you can do another form of pricing which is just you know an hourly structure like hey this is my hourly rate you know, yeah, that's probably what I would imagine a lot of freelancers, you know, this day and age doing is hourly. Yeah, well, the, yeah. Well, the mentality is that you're not gonna you're gonna be paid for every hour that you work, and that you're not gonna lose money, right? And so there's a, a more of a correlation or relationship between the customer and the vendor of like I'm getting this for this cost or whatever. Yeah, that's hard though because. Yeah, you know, some tasks just take longer and they're not necessarily like worth more. Yeah, I don't know. Like I I can't, I don't view like every hour you spend as equal to the, you know, each each other hour because some stuff is like really really important and other stuff is production. Uh-huh. You know, so it uh you know, in, in uh I just got back from Owner Camp, which is one of the most amazing conferences I've ever been to, but this was this was a topic that came up quite regularly. Um, yeah. Uh, time and materials billing, um, and it's and it's um, the the model is basically well, you know, you're gonna where every hour you work, you're gonna bill, mm-hmm. and I think we've all found ourselves in this position as freelancers or prof- in the professional setting where you know you're judged kind of on that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're if you're talking to a client, you say, well, my rate is X per hour. There's number one, there's gonna be an immediate reaction of a, a, a assumptions being built upon you just by saying that. Um, and then my fear in hourly, well, I, first of all, I should say that this is the way that I used to work all the time. Right. Um, 
and and it, it for a while it was it worked really really well at first it's kind of the only thing that really makes sense you know yeah. because you're just you don't want to pull a number out of the air you just be like hey this is my hourly rate if you're mm-hmm. cool with that you know let's let's do this and i think that's how a lot of people should start is hourly you know if you are just getting into you know the creative professional <clears throat> world um, that's how you kind of like learn how to price is, is you, you charge and you see how well it goes. You know, I estimated 40 hours on this and you know, I, you know, that wasn't enough, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't make enough money off of this and I can't continue this way unless I either increase my rate or find, find a better way to price. The, um, um, the other thing is the, there's, there's kind of a gray area there, like whether you're doing hourly on a fixed cost or whether you're just purely billing hourly. And um, the the advantage for someone billing hourly is that they can have the frame of the good a positive feeling that they're going to get paid for every hour. Yeah. But the downside is that there's no guarantee how many hours you can bill every month, right? So right. as a freelancer, I constantly dealt with that. Like some months I would bill a certain amount. Next month it might be twenty percent lower. Next month it might be fifty percent higher. Uh-huh. You know, and when people my personal opinion of this is when someone knows your hourly rate they're especially a customer they're going to try to limit the amount of the time the amount of time right because they are trying to control their budget everything is just totally totally yeah. connected to that um the other thing is time tracking is yeah. something you have to really like be a nazi about basically yeah. is running your timers on like harvest or or whatever harvest is a really good app for for time tracking by the way but um, I have a question for fee, like based on these three pricing models, fixed, value-based, hourly. Fee, in mm-hmm. your in your career, like which of these have you employed the most as a freelancer or or, or working in an agency? Who is this fee guy anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Um, just um, product designer here at Fun Size. Um, I've been, you know, f- when I've started freelancing, I've, you know, I've always asked people, you know, who've already in, who are already freelancing or in, in, in the industry what you know what they do and um, hourly has been probably the the more you know the biggest use case for them yeah and so yeah hourly for me has been you know um, I've always used that right well it's just the easiest way of like just getting started you know right it exactly a, yeah it, yeah it's, it's a great way for for freelancers who are just starting off um, to kind of get their foot in the door. Right. On a scale of 1 to 10, how hard was it to figure out your hourly rate? Uh, probably like, probably a 9. Because <laughs> for me, just starting off, like just coming right out of school, I mean, I had absolutely no idea um, what right. to price myself, you know? And it's so challenging, I, right? Because you're... Yeah, and you're... so I would, I would lowball myself sometimes. And, oh, yeah. And then, I, and then I would learn from that, and then I would, you know... I would share my hourly my hourly rate with people who are already in in, in the industry, and they're like, uh, "Dude, you're lowballing yourself. Like, why aren't you charging more?" You know, right? But I, that all depends on, I feel like, your level of expertise and how how good you are too. You know, that's like right. You can't you can't you can't just come out like straight out of school and be like, you know what, I'm gonna charge a hundred dollars an hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, on this, you know, so I guess it all depends on. Your experience as well. What you just said, I feel is spot on because um, there, everyone is different. You know, there's going to be people coming right out of school that aren't ready yet, and then there's going to be people right. that are young that already have this really strong talent, and maybe value price pricing is better. Right? Mm-hmm. If you think about it, 
Mm-hmm. Back to this scenario, the guitar maker. Mm-hmm. If this guitar maker was charging by the hour, mm-hmm. when he starts out at 20 years old, and then by the time he's 40 years old, it, t- it takes him less hours to build that guitar. Right. Should he be making less money? But here's the thing. Right. I mean, obviously, he's going to increase his rate over time. Like, oh, it costs more, it costs yeah. more. Right. But at some point... Right. Let's say a guitar maker guy starts out at fifty dollars an hour, you know, and but he's new, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. But then, like ten years down the road, like this guy's up to a hundred dollars an hour, and then ten more years is two hundred dollars an hour. Like that's too much to, for, you know, to pay for a guitar. Like, what if it takes you forty hours to make a guitar? Or I don't know. Yeah. There's a certain point where your hourly rate is just going to be too. You're just going to say that's too high. And I think that's where uh, that's another thing that uh, I got out of uh, Jason Blummer's. Um, I think it was Danny who said it, but there's just a certain point where like the hourly rate is like just more than, than, than clients are willing to pay it. They're like, they see that and that's the sticker shock as opposed to let's tell you everything that you're getting and here's mm-hmm. the overall price, the value of, yeah. you know. So uh, the other things, it takes out the whole like surprise factor at the end, the, shikers, the sticker shock, I guess is, yeah. yeah. But I mean, because if you're just hourly, you know, if you're just running that clock and your clients get it and it's like, holy cow, or they just don't like the the price of your hourly rate, you know, to begin with. Uh, I don't know. This is it's a little more tricky, but the value-based things, I don't know, makes sense. I mean, it's starting to for me anyway. But then the, the other thing, like, because uh, I had, had always done hourly, when I started this business before Natalie and everyone else joined, it was hourly. But then when we realized that we had this really cool team that had a certain skill set, we also realized that if we build hourly, we would lose money. Mm-hmm. Because there are certain people, well, at fun size, everyone is extremely senior level and talented, extremely talented. And if some person can complete that task in a certain amount of time, it would be billing less, right? So we realized from You're the... You're being punished for being yeah, so the, the right. Yeah, so at fun size anyway, when we started looking at this, we realized that if we build hourly, we'd actually lose money. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's that's actually an interesting point you just made, Natalie, about being punished for being like... Uh, quick. Efficient, right? Yeah. Like you learn and you do it faster, so it's like... Why are you being punished? You know, and, and then you have to start, like you're saying, like watching that time clock right. more and more. Starting to pad it and be starting, like, yeah. yeah. And then it boils down to, well, what what did I think I was worth for this project? Yeah, that, that's what you end up doing anyway. You know? Like, yeah. what I had a I had a teacher in the art institute uh, that was like my flash teacher or something, and he always said that he would always just like wait he was super fast like at what he did like he would do client you know just freelance or whatever but he said he would do things so fast that he would wait like a day or two before he even told him it was done because he didn't want him to think oh wait a minute you did that in one you know evening oh i I don't think i should pay you that much or whatever so i i I still remember that you know he's just like yeah i just wait a day or two and they're totally fine with it you know like oh um, um, and there's lot, one last one, right? Um, and that's retainer-based pricing, right, which right. I think is our favorite. So I think this is the combination of taking what works really well in value-based pricing and mm-hmm. hourly pricing and and bridging a gap where it's equally beneficial for both parties. Because um, it's a little bit of both. It's, a, you know, a retainer is basically saying, like, I'm going to dedicate this much time to this project Mm-hmm. And this is what the cost is going to be. So it's, everyone knows on both sides what they're getting and how much they're yeah. paying for it. So yeah. it's a little bit of value-based pricing because you're saying, this is my expertise and this is what I'm, it, this is the probable outcome. It's a little bit of fixed price because 
the price isn't going to change mm-hmm. and you know every month what you're going to make and the client knows every month what they're going to spend. Right. And it's a little bit of hourly because it's based on a rate. Well, I like that because, you know, if you work with uh, product companies or whatever, like we do a lot, we'll work with a product company and then they can sort of like put us where they need us. You know, if they have like an idea of what they want us to do, but then that scope changes, they can, they can be, you know, yeah. agile and move us over to a different focus because things change, you know. So I, I do like it because of that for sure. And I think with that, like with the retainer pricing, you kind of build a better relationship with the client because there's never going to be a time where you're like, hey, guys, sorry, but we're over budget or, you know, like right. we're over or whatever. We can't, we have to stop working on this now. Or it's like, I'm going to charge you more for this and it's double the price than what I quoted you before. Yeah, you can just, just so many front things load, that can go wrong. you can front load hours or whatever, yeah. you know, like, well, this is for this month. Let's do this for, for you know. It, get a score for the overall retainer. Or, and work on more things too, right? Yeah. Like um, in a fixed fee or value-based scenario, you're doing a very specific thing. But in a retainer, you're basically telling your client, I can do whatever you want Yeah. in this time frame. Like, so it helps you in some ways grow. Like start if you started with the iPhone up, then next month maybe you're working on the website. And the next month maybe you're working on branding. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been a really successful... Um, Right. way of working at fun size I think it's worked for the clients too you know like they've been really happy to, to be able to change things you know um, I wanted to just kind of throw in a couple of resources these are some things that have helped me personally in my freelance career and I, I think that they're they're definitely still applicable uh, at least most of them today but these are things that helped me find an hourly rate and just sort of like lift the curtain lifted the curtain a little bit on the mystery of like what what should pricing be um there is a book by um i'm hoping i pronounce this right but mike montiero um name the name of the book is uh or the title of the book is design as a job he has some pretty cool stuff Uh, in there it actually covers a lot of different things but I really like the section in there about pricing and it's a lot about what you're worth and thinking about that and he 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 puts it in a way that's uh I don't know it feels honest you know it feels really good to to read it's sort of like validating like kind of some of the things that you're afraid of and 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 what you feel so uh, I recommend that um, there's an article, and we could post this in the show notes, but uh, there's an article um, that I read a year or two ago um, called How Much Does a Mobile App Cost? Answer, about as much as a car. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's cool because it kind of goes through like the different tiers. It's like, okay, well, you're asking kind of a broad question. What kind of app is this? You know, is this a get you from a to b app you can probably get it for five thousand bucks from a student you know uh who, who's like trying to learn you know you can get a good deal on like a 84 honda civic which was my first car by the way <laughs> uh you know but it's not going to be a nice car and it goes up you know geo metro uh, you know a, i don't know an audi and it keeps going up and up to like lamborghini you know and those are all cars right these are all apps that everyone's making but there's not one answer for like one one price that they you know entail um, so but that's at a, least a good start to figure out like if you're, if you're going to invest three months of your time to do an app like at least figure out have a baseline of where what people are paying or char- what what people are investing for something like that you know yeah yeah and then I, and then figure out your worth and and adjust it higher or lower based on uh-huh. your 
yeah. where you are. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's not like a perfect picture of what each app costs, but it's like at least enough to kind of get like a hint. And that's a great thing for uh, someone who's a designer to read or somebody who's looking to hire out, you know, uh, a team to build a mobile app. Um, and then there's also a, a, an ebook written by uh, the people at Harvest called The Harvest Guide to Pricing. Mm-hmm. So that's another one, another good one to just, it's a good resource. If you, if you guys are wondering about pricing, uh, whether you are a designer or somebody who is looking to hire out a design team, these are all really great resources to just kind of check out and get like a, a feel for, for it kind of goes through all these pricing models in a little bit more depth, right? There's also that one that you did, uh, that you talked about that I've heard you mentioned before, uh, the fuck you pay me. Oh yeah. That's Mike Montiero as well. He's, oh, it is. Uh, okay. yeah, yeah. He's got uh, a YouTube video up. NC um, thirteen, sorry y'all. <laughs> there, there is also. It's from Goodfellas. Come on, it's just a quote. There's also a book called Ethical Guidelines and Pricing that the Graphic Artist Guild puts out every two or three years. But um, ethical pricing. Ethical pricing and guidelines, I think, is what huh. it's called, called. And there's tons of salary surveys and things like that. But the problem is. I don't know if these resources can keep up with a changing landscape. Right, 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 right. Um, that's that's kind of funny. That eth- <laughs> what if you went and read that and you're like, oh my gosh, my pricing is pricing is unethical. <laughs> how do they how do they determine that? Yeah, that's kind of like a broad stroke. Yeah. Um. Well. So we've kind of gone over. Yeah, I just wanted to plug like kind of kind of some of those resources real quick because you know sometimes if you have no idea at all, it's it's good to just like read an article or two, and those are some good ones to just sort of like get a feel for it. Um, so there's a lot of like like we we had mentioned before, there's a lot of different types of pricing models, um, and and we normally do retainers, right, Anthony? Uh, our our engagements. You had kind of a cool uh, way of of presenting some some engagements to a new uh a new pr- prospective client you're telling me about that was kind of kind of neat you had presented them with different like tiers that they could choose from basically so i mean basically you know for those of you who don't know fun size only works with product companies so the the people that hire us are engineers and product managers and these guys jobs are to ship products and and at the at the core of what their needs are, they're base, they need effort. They need designers that can help make this happen. Uh-huh. And so when we when you know we kind of borrowed a little bit of value based pricing ideals and and all these other things that we talked about, and we do these we we will we we present retainers to clients that that are varying degree of, of uh, engagement. So. Uh, you know, like, like, what, like what are the degrees? So, like today, you know, today I was on the phone with a prospective client. I'm asking him, okay, well, what, what is, like, what is it? What are your short term and long term goals? Like, what is the first benchmark you have to hit? Like, what are you trying to do in a year? Um, what, what's on the table? Like, what products can we work on? Like, is there just one or is there a few? Uh-huh. Um, and then I look at that stuff, and we, you know, and we, first of all, we all talk about this internally, openly with the company to figure out if it's a good fit. And if it's a really good fit, then we realize, okay, what is our level of flexibility? If this is a project we really, really want, we're going to do whatever it takes to get it, uh, for example. So when, when we put these proposals in front of a client, it's usually varying degree of how many hours per month are we going to give them. Um, the, the, you know, some, you know, some, it's usually three options, like in one particular proposal that I wrote. 
option one was slow and steady. Uh, the next one was the smooth ship, and the other one was the pacemaker. Mm-hmm. So it's the difference in like very slow progressional work versus highly dedicated design team. So the client is making a decision on what they want to pay based mm-hmm. on how fast they want to move and how much um, exposure they want to our team, how many check-in meetings, how much iteration do they feel like they need, and then also the length of the engagement. So there's a different price for a three-month engagement versus a nine-month engagement. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, it's, so it's sort of like a... You know, obviously, if you want to move real fast and put a ton of hours in right away, you know, it's going to be more expensive than spanning it out over time. Yeah. Okay. And, you so know, if, yeah, like the time is more dense, right? You give them more hours per month versus mm-hmm. slow and steady. You kind of break that out and it's just kind of it's slow and steady. Yes. <laughs> you know, we, we understand the risk involved. So we understand, well, you know, if we're if, if it's on a if it's on a lower retainer side, we know it's going to be like incremental work and the stress level is going to be low versus a more more intense engagement where we know that there's going to be multiple people from fund size involved. It's going to be hard and fast. We're going to have a lot of work sessions. There, there's going to be a varying degree of price that a client is paying for that because they're paying for that value. That value is how much access do they have to the team? Right. How fast can we move? Um, and sometimes uh, clients are just looking for a long-term partner. So if someone is looking, if someone comes to you and says, you know, we're looking for someone that can design, be our designer or design team for a year. Think about that, right? If you can, as a as an, as a freelance designer, as a design company, if you can wrap up all of your business development needs in one client, mm-hmm. make it a no brainer. Because if you know, freelancers will probably spend twenty percent of their time doing biz dev. Agencies like ours, even though we're small, like that's pretty much all I do. Um, and you have to think about that, you know. Uh, if, if you give someone an hourly rate or value-based pricing, how long will it take to close that deal? How many times will you revise that estimate? How, ma- how many meetings will you have to have to convince them to sign up? Uh, and our mentality is make it a no-brainer where the sales cycle takes two, a day or two hmm. so that we can spend our time designing. Yeah, kind of, I think, um, what's funny too, and we might not have done it intentionally, but there is a psychology behind, you know, giving three options or that you know a human mind can really only process up to five i think is that the right number yeah i've heard that it's five yeah Yeah, and that's kind of like the apple tactic right like we've talked about before oh yeah yeah that's cool they give you like you know the highest one where you have to order they give you kind of like a medium one where they have in store but it's a little higher and then they have like a lower end one and you always seemingly go with the one that maybe it's in the middle because number one, you don't want to pre-order the highest one and it's the highest price. You don't want to pay too much, but you don't want to be cheap. So right. you just go with the middle and it's sort of like a middle ground. And it's usually the best, in the Apple case, the middle line product is usually the best one. Right. And so, in but, you know, for the people that have a budget, this lower option makes more sense. For people that want to something else, the higher makes more sense. So it's not like you're pulling the wool over people's eyes. You're basically just saying, these are three different ways we can work with you. Mm-hmm. What feels more comfortable to you? Right. Yeah. Like, do you want to do you want lower payments and spread that out over a longer term time? You do you want like a lot of intense work and need it need a full team and you know and and so that's kind of how like fundamentally how we think about it. But you know we don't haggle on hourly rates. No. We we never show an hourly rate to clients because we don't want clients to think about us as a number. We want clients to think of us as a, a value. Right. Yeah. It's not. It's not it doesn't become transactional. Yeah, and right. most of the time, most of the time, we we will reach our retainers and we'll end up 
doing extra work for these clients. And some clients we've given, you know, we'll do, you know, an extra, you know, strong investment into their company. And so it's, we do that because we want to continue that relationship. We want, we want to actually build a true partnership where we're part of the team longer time. And sometimes that means working for free. And not just that, though. I think the reason why we do that as well is because we're so passionate about these people that we work with. Yeah. You know, so it's like you have this momentum. You don't want to just halt. Right. Yeah. yeah it's it's cool to be really, like, excited about the, the work that you have to do and the clients you have to do it with. Because, yeah, it's all about just making the best of that time. And um, Retainer costs are really easy to figure out, too, because you can base it on what a, what a salaried employee would make, right, mm-hmm. for example. So if a client uh, is looking to design an app and they need a designer, well, what would it cost to hire a junior, mid-level, or senior designer? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can figure out, if you're a freelancer, like, what you should charge. Uh, you can figure out, like, what would be a no-brainer for the client. Like, what number or what cost would make it easier for that client to work with you versus continue to spend money in HR and recruiting and job posts and interviews to, like, bring that person on. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, So, usually with... uh, Oh, you had an interesting uh, point about maybe a price point being not necessarily based on hours, but how much access a client has, you know, to you, you know, is it, we're not necessarily charging this much, you know, for this many hours, but you know, we're going to meet your milestones, but you can only have like, you know, this access to us, uh, this many meetings per week. Yeah. That's usually how we do it, you know, because it's not necessarily access to the individual people. Like, you know, everyone usually has access to everyone, but, um, Right, not not to the specific people. But. Yeah, but meetings is one thing, right? Because if you are trying to ship a product and you need t- you need time to design, and the more meetings you have, makes it harder. You know, make you know adds more barriers to getting that done. And some people really value uh, the face to face time. Um, sometimes it's critical in order to get it done. Sometimes it's not. So usually with smaller retainers, there'll be less meetings, less work sessions, uh, because that you know that way more time can be spent. In, in doing the design work yeah well I think we're kind of running a little bit over here so we had some sort of pricing questions but I don't really want to like lose that so maybe we could just kind of touch briefly on some of the more important parts of it um, but these are sort of I guess maybe like frequently asked questions uh, about pricing and while we're not you know the authority on pricing uh, we we do you have some things that we feel like we've learned about it and we want to share? So uh, one of those things is uh, what's the importance of just having a standard price, you know, charging this person this and this person that. Um, but there is, right, like always like a a price that you can't really go below. Um, and that's maybe at least like a baseline. I think it depends on what your work for the year looks like. Right. Right. If you are, if you are focused only on the now – you could hurt yourself because you have to look at what can I make this year. And sometimes you have to take less than what you want to do so that you can get that project that will step you up to the next level. Like if you want to do mobile banking apps, for example, and you want Citibank to hire you, you need to build a capability in mobile banking, mm-hmm. right, to be competitive. That's true. And if as long as you balance it out, like you might have some projects where you're not, make, you're not making exactly what you feel like you're worth, as long as it's balanced out with other work that that is paying it. It's an equation. Right. That's fair. 
Um, I think it's good, though, to know generally what you're worth and have a good baseline to start from. Uh, right. A convers- you know, a conversation starter. A good baseline that you can be flexible on, you know, so that you sort of look... Yeah, I like what you're saying about, like, kind of aiming at the long the long view of it, you know. And, and you know, like... Um, you you kind of have to do what, what Fee talked about earlier, was, which is, like, not try not to lowball yourself. Yeah. That's a good Don't mall boy yourself. <laughs> I mean, Fee, this is a question for you. Like, why did you feel the need to lowball yourself? Was it because otherwise you didn't feel like you would get that client? That's a good question. I think I think the thing for me that I found out really late in the game was the whole taxes thing. Um, I mean, just, that's still something that I've, you know, I'm still trying to trying to pick up on. Uh-huh. Is like, you know, a lot of these freelancers out there are like, oh, you know, you know, well, I'm charging, you know, twenty twenty dollars an hour, blah blah, blah. and and you know you're only working for a certain amount of time, and at the end, you know, at the end of the month, or the end of the quarter, when you need to pay your taxes, you you cut yourself short, you know, you and like you got to keep like keep account like, you know, yeah. if you have a family or or expenses that you need to you need to pay, you know, that you you need to keep a keep account for all that stuff when you're when you're charging, you know. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. That's so. sort of the other side of it too, because there's another. Uh, look at that which is like you know having a family and all that uh, having a mortgage to pay for you know some some people can get them boxed themselves boxed into a rate that they can't live without you know and then that's kind of a scary position to be in because you know you've got a lot of overhead you know in your personal finances and then you know you have to charge a lot because (laughs) Because you have to make a certain amount of money, and that, and that definitely is is something that you know agencies deal with. You know, like um, you know, paying overhead and payroll and stuff like that. But you know, yeah. I, I think yeah. um, you also have to look at the things you do as an investment into your future. Like, if you want to, um, if you want to learn animation, and you're going to invest some time in learning After Effects, mm-hmm. because that investment will result in your ability to grow, right? And, right. you know, in, in my career, I've definitely, even in some cases, I've gone down 50% of what I thought I was worth to get that project that would springboard my career into an area. And without make, you know, without making some of those concessions sometimes, I, I don't really think I'd be where I am today. And it, it's, it is a challenge, too, in recruiting designers because, you know, you'll meet, like, really talented web designers, for example. They're, they're extremely talented, but... Uh, in the space that we work in where you have to know iOS, you have to know iPhone, iPad, Android, Android Mobile, Windows, all these things that are part of mobile and someone uh, has still has a lot to learn. So even at a web agency, they might be worth that figure, but at another agency, the value is a little bit different, right? There's an investment in learning it. And if you really were passionate about learning it, you would probably need to figure out if you can afford to make that sacrifice. Yeah. But yeah. But, you know, I, I kind of think that those things all balance out as long as you make sure that you're, you know, balancing, you know, balancing work. You know, there's definitely projects that Fun Size takes because we just want to work on them. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, there's some that are more profitable than others. Uh, there's some that, you know, you know, varying that spectrum of uh, stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I think we all do a pretty good job of picking projects that we really want to work on. And that's like kind of going back to how it's related to agency too, because I have seen some agencies, you know, start small like we have, and they they didn't grow in a smart way. And what happened was that they ended up 
having to take on the bigger projects because of all the overhead, because of the people they've hired, because of things they offer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you end up taking on less interesting things. So yeah. that's something that you. Know. Yeah, that's that's thing, something that's really scary. Is like just getting into the point where you have to take anything that comes your way. Right. Like that sucks, you know. And I think it's just a result of not being careful about managing your overhead and. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate it when, you know, uh, Anthony really tries to uh, make sure and, and vet the, the clients that, that we get. And it's been really good because of that. Uh, there's one thing, there's one question, though, that I think I sometimes ask myself still, and a lot of people are probably asking is, do you do spec work? Because there's so many opinions around that. Yeah, it's, that's... A lot of people really look down on that, um, but some people like it. I don't know. It's like a north or south pole thing, kind of. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people feel one way or another on on, on spec work, but I, it is a very common question with pricing. Because basically, if you don't know what spec work spec work is, um, it's it's kind of like going ahead and getting started on a project when you hear about you know uh, a, a new proposal out or or, or a new new project or a new client is you know looking for an agency and that's how a lot of like agencies that pitch like commercials and uh it's pretty much free work it's free you do all the work in order to construct this like elaborate pitch to the client and the client has like three or four agencies in line you know so they Mm -hmm. look at all of them and they pick one and that only that one gets any money from it usually um and and freelancers have their spec work for freelancers too you know um there's even websites dedicated to like spec work for freelance. What was that one? It's like Spring. Do you remember that feed? Did you ever use that one? It was like Spring something. Something for which one? CrowdSpring. Uh, it was like a website that was like just for freelancers to basically compete. Like one person would be like, "Hey, I got a thousand bucks. Whoever designs me the best logo or something." And like, no, but that just sounds terrible. Oh, dude, I've actually worked with a couple of people that have done that, and they actually use a logo to this day. So wow, not the best. But. It's a, it's, it's, um, it's challenging because um, uh, someone was kind of painting this picture for me. Someone that was on a client side, actually trying to hire a design vendor, and so they, they actually did ask for spec work, um, but you have to consider the position they're in. They don't necessarily want to screw people over by asking for free work. No. They're looking to sell someone into their bosses. Right. And they're using their your work to say, see why we got to hire these guys? Right. Like, these guys are the best. And so you don't really know what the motives are, right? Yeah, you, you gotta, don't. Like, but it, either stuff. way, yeah. dude, it is a high-stakes game. Mm-hmm. You know we, I, I mean? don't think uh, we would ever do spec work if a client asked us. Right. But we do spec work all the time for things we don't work fun. on. You Did, know, Fee, have you ever done any spec work, unsolicited <laughs> spec work for, I don't know, like any kind of airline or anything like that? I don't know. Maybe. Time <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe a few here and there for kicks, kicks and giggles. Yeah, it's a... Uh, Dribble.com slash fee. Apostrophe. <laughs> Apostrophe. Just saying, guys. Yeah, spe- spec, work, spec work is difficult, and there's definitely a lot of emotions involved there because you're like, well, did you not see my portfolio? Like, this is what yeah, my work looks yeah. like. like. Right, right. But, uh, it show, it kind of, it is frustrating, too. It works out 
kind of good for the client, but not so good for the designer. You right, because what is this, like, what's to say that they're not going to take the awesome stuff that you did and then go and build it, and then you're like, well, like, what do I do? Or if you play devil's advocate, it's still a portfolio piece. It is, but, I mean, you can't do that very often. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you got to make sure it's the right client and, and worth it. I want to bring up a scenario in the, in the show Mad Men that I always think about when I think about spec work, because... Uh, Mad Men is about, you know, an agency in the 1960s in New York on Madison Avenue is like really elaborate, you know, agencies back in those days. But anyway, uh, Mad Men, they had a, an episode where they had a chance to get a client with, um, American Airlines. And that would, is like, sort of like, you know, the, the best kind of client for that kind of agency. So they wanted to, but they already had a client with, mohawk airlines um so they already had an airline so it was sort of a conflict of interest so to even engage them not only did they have to do all this free work to try and get a presentation with american airlines they had to fire their client with mohawk before they could even do all this free work so i mean talk about high stakes man and the funny you know uh i I don't know maybe i don't want to spoil it but uh it doesn't go well (laughs) (laughs) but i you know that's what i think about you know but honestly the thing i take from that story is like wow that was a pretty courageous move even though they maybe it didn't work out so good man you've really got to be willing to roll the dice on on things like that and i don't know it's just it's kind of scary to think about i think that it's challenging because you're someone's evaluating your work without you having the time to go through discovery and truly understand the business yeah that's the thing you don't really have that much time i don't know that's it's just so backwards anyway we kind of went off on spec work because i don't know it is definitely something that will initiate passionate debate uh between different you know designers with different different opinions on it but getting back to pricing we kind of had like a few you know questions to go over but i think the when we were sitting down and discussing what this episode was going to be about and how we were going to uh, sort of just write like an outline to, to go through, uh, Anthony, I kept hearing you saying over and over that basically don't be so focused on the here and now like temporary position, uh, temporary amount that you can get at a short time. Be more focused on uh, securing work in a long term Right, like for like, yeah, to kind of speak to that. For example, say if you charge a million dollars an hour, right, and someone's offering you like, hey, I can't afford a million dollars. How about nine hundred thousand? A million dollars a lot. Yeah, I wish, right? But, yeah, a million dollars. So, but it's Work like one hour a year. I think it, and they're offering you a six month contract. Don't I like consider that you know because yeah, well, yeah it's because if for a longer period at a time, higher rate, what's the problem? How many proposals will you win? Right, and plus, yeah. you, you spend less time like constantly looking for new work. Okay, if you can get a project that's a good price but can float your business for a month, that's great. But then you have to spend half of that month looking for the next yeah. month to set up. So if you get something that's set, setting you up for you know more of a long term, it's probably a, a wise idea to be more flexible in your rate so you can get uh, an engagement like that so that you can – Gosh, have time to breathe and not just be like biz dev, biz dev, biz dev. Oh, Especially day. if you find a find a client that you love, right? Like that's a good point. I just you know sometimes you just want more of that client. Like that, this works really well. We mesh well. We have a harmo- 
harmonious <laughs> meetings with the the engineering team and that's a really good point because I, I think sometimes if you even though it might seem like you're lowering your, your rate if you're looking at other kinds of way to engage it, retainers for one you know primary example over the course of a year you would probably make more money than if you were so focused on a specific hourly rate. I think you're right. Yeah, because... it's hard to not look at just the here and now, but I think that's a good sort of message to kind of take home from from just like our outlook on, on, on pricing at all is just, you know, go for the long term as opposed to something that's short term. So uh, I think that's going to pretty much be it for, for this episode, guys. I hope that was helpful to everyone that's listening. Yeah, sorry if we rambled too much, but I mean, there's a lot to cover, man. And we even skipped a, <laughs> we skipped some stuff, but um, yeah, I hope 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 it helps uh, someone somewhere wondering about pricing. Uh, next next episode, we're gonna talk about uh, the product designer's tool belt. You'll, you know, we'll get kind of into the specifics of what are our fun. Sh- tips and tricks that we like to use when we're actually in you know in our environments creating these things and uh, i think that's going to be really fun fee do you think that sounds like fun i think so i thought you left (laughs) (laughs) right on that's fantastic super excited cool guys well uh that's pretty much it for episode three thanks very much and we hope to see you guys next time Bye. Adios. Bye. Bye. <laughs>